0: We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still
1: felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations
0: about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something
1: meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast.
0: In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and an inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur.
1: We also believe that what you focus on grows.
0: So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours
1: that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month.
0: And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshi.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. All right. Well, welcome to And She Spoke. Still not used to it. (laughs) Sounds good, though.
1: Hey, Sandy. Hi, Jenny. Hi, everybody. Today's episode is a female founder story about the underwear company, the period underwear company, Thinks. So, this is a really interesting story that we came across weeks ago, Sandy, and we've been eager to do a podcast about because it really helps to tease apart this idea of what it means to be a female founded company and whether or not that means that you are a feminist company. Right. I think, yeah, this topic is so
0: interesting. I mean, we obviously call ourselves a feminist. We're a feminist business. And it's almost now this article points out that it's like you call yourself a boss babe or women run or women founded, and it's starting to lose some of its Magical power.
1: Well, yeah. And that that phrase is so problematic. And we have an entire podcast Ooh, yes, episode about that. Yes. But yes, for sure. But I mean, this article is in bitch media, so this is gonna be a an explicit podcast episode because I had to say that word. But it's the article's called Patriarchy Proof Thinks and the Perils of Emphasizing Female Founders. Now I just was really drawn into this article. It's by Rachel Lewis. It came out on January sixteenth, 2020. We'll link to it in the show notes. But there's this whole idea of being female founded and what if you say you're a female founded company, what that means. And we identify with that phrase. And I think we even have it on our Instagram bio right now. We sure do. And I absolutely am proud of that because building a business like ours as female founders presents its own set of challenges. And I think identify. Identifying that upfront to our audience is really important and holding that phrase proudly is important. But when a company says it's female founded, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's being run in a feminist way or in a socially or environmentally responsible way. And so, you know, I come from this environmental background where the term greenwashing is often used for big companies that are talking about sustainability and environmental values and sort of in their PR, but then are in the actual practice of running their companies doing some really environmentally destructive things. And I think this is starting to bleed into this kind of feminist or female-founded business. Nice one. I know. Nice one with I, I, was waiting, I was waiting for you to catch that. But it, the same sort of concept is starting to, you know, run into this female-founded side of things too. So that's just what we wanted to pick apart and discuss. Yeah. And,
0: and I never really thought about it before because And this is me, I think, maybe being a little bit naive. If you say that you're female-founded or a feminist, I am going to take that at, like, I want to support you, right? And I think this article is like, you got to think about that because a woman-run company can still do, perhaps, abuse their workers or have unfair employment practices or create products that harm consumers or all the awful things that have happened in many companies for many years, right? Because it's a woman
1: doesn't mean that everything is run above board, And yeah, well, let's talk about actually the story, okay? because I think a lot of people might not know the background of Thinx. So we're talking about the underwear, the period underwear company, Thinx, T-H-I-N-X. And I know a lot of women, including myself, who purchased this period underwear because we saw it as like a very socially responsible, environmentally responsible feminist thing to do rather than using disposable feminine hygiene products. And so this underwear was really sold as this sort of patriarchy-smashing purchasing decision. And it turns out that there were a lot of claims made in the Thinks company that this was a really toxic workplace for people, especially women. And in this article that we're referring to, The patriarchy proof article that we mentioned earlier, there's this entire study that was done by a journalist for the Sierra Club who sent some of this underwear into a laboratory and it turns out it has toxic chemicals in it. So this is, you know, really going against everything that this this company has branded itself to be. And I think that that's so important for us to look at just because something's branded to sort of be patriarchy proof or to be this activist company doesn't mean that the company is really being run like that.
0: Yes. And that's the part that made me stop and think. And like, then it was like, well, of course it doesn't. Like why, you know, what is the thinking or my beliefs behind that just that it did? And This whole story reminds me very much of the Elizabeth Holmes story that we did a podcast many episodes ago. It's the same thing. Like these women are sort of put up onto pedestals as these innovators and disruptors and look at them. Aren't they amazing? Look at what they're doing. And then it's found out that what they're doing is not actually what they say, right? And so I always question the intent. Like did this... So the founder is... Her name is Mickey Agrawal. And I just like, did Mickey actually know? Did she like intentionally lie to the public about the toxicity of the materials in her in these underwear? Like, I just can't believe that she did. And that part is really important to me. And maybe there's an argument that once it was discovered and found out there's a different way to have handled it. I don't know. So like, I just, I always take their side, like, but maybe she didn't know. Maybe, you know, like there's so many unknown answers there.
1: Yeah, and there's also some investigative journalism that went on into the company. So Hillary George Parkin reported in *Racked* that Even despite its promise of feminism that thinks as a company, in fact, failed its employees and that, quote unquote, behind the scenes, many current and former employees paint a picture of dysfunction and hypocrisy with clashes between Agarwal and many key members of her team, employment policies that seem to fly in the face of the company's women first messaging and an increasingly volatile work environment that's led many of those who were instrumental in creating the brand to tender their resignations. So you have this two sided Problem, right? Where you have this CEO, this founder who's ultimately forced out of her company because of this dysfunction or toxic workplace. And then subsequently, you have this Sierra Club journalist that goes ahead and sends like different both Think's underwear and then other underwear from similar companies to an independent lab to be tested and then finds out that the Think's underwear is in fact toxic and contaminated with PFAS, which is a kind of plastic basically that's been linked to all kinds of different health issues. So I think that it's Just a case of in this day and age, there's so much pressure being put on founders. And I think there's so much emphasis being put on branding and how we talk about the work that we do that it's so, in many ways, the actual daily practices of how a business operates get, you know, that doesn't get nearly as much attention as this other stuff. And I don't know, you know, Mickey Agarwal's story very well. And I don't know what kind of pressure she was under, but I'm guessing based on what I've seen from, you know, every other story and my own lived experience that when you are founding a company, especially when you go that venture capital route, there is a tremendous amount of pressure on a founder to grow very fast and to perhaps not question some of the impacts of that fast growth or to have to make decisions before you're ready or to have to put pressure on your employees to work harder and faster than maybe is humane. And so, you know, you can see how something like this happens. It's not rocket science to see how a company like this would go south really fast. It's just that because it's a female founded company, there is this expectation that somehow it's socially That's right. and, and environmentally responsible. Because this is maybe not a more new story. So. Like, no, the, not at all. It's right? just that. It, yeah. And, and then the other side of this is our women founders, our female founders held to a higher standard. Than male founders, right? Because if you found out that like a men's clothing company was using toxic materials, would the backlash be like this? Or if you found out that it was a toxic workplace and that people were forced to work really long hours or were being emotionally abused, would you be that surprised? So I don't know. I mean, that's just a rhetorical question. No, yeah, you, you wouldn't. probably wouldn't. But because it's mm-hmm. a female founded company and because it branded itself as inherently feminist, that by buying this underwear, you're somehow smashing the patriarchy, then you're held to a higher standard, as maybe as you should be, right? Because I certainly feel duped by all of this. I mean, their underwear is not cheap, right? And so I know lots and lots of women who've invested in this brand because they had really powerful messaging in their branding. And, and I think what the company stands for is amazing, but yet. Now we feel duped. And so what You know, what do you do with that? And I don't want this particular story to negatively impact other female founded companies. But at the same time, I don't want female founded companies to get away with this stuff just because they're run by women. So it's like mm-hmm. such a complicated a scenario. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I do want to talk about like Mickey, when she started this company, her marketing, her copywriting, her messaging was un. Believable was so good. And there is an article I found when we were prepping for this of one of the journalists was on her, like, you know, list of – Mickey's list of, like, the journalists that she would reach out to when they had events and so on. Yeah. And she would actually keep copies of her emails about their events because they were so wonderful wacky and quirky and like just like what is she talking about and so she has the like copies from she actually shares all the copies of the email it's so good and she really normalized talking about periods and bleeding you know which I think is super important yeah. so I kind of she is adapter in the way that she talked the way that she she was just sort of you know, unapologetically going out there and saying all the things that people are like, Ugh, "That you can't say that. And I kind of admire her for that. And she did write a book recently after all this because she was ultimately ousted called Disrupt Her Disruptor. And I'm kind of curious about it, you know, because she's such a character and she is, I don't know, I think the whole story is fascinating.
1: Yeah, no, it's super fascinating. So I think, you know, where does that leave us though, in the wake of stories like this, and I don't know how much, how widely this story has been shared, or you know, how, I feel like there's not been that much attention on her ousting compared to, say, the story of Elizabeth Holmes. It's all Elizabeth she Holmes has a, like whole, a podcast whole other daughter. level. Yeah, that's like a whole other level. But I do feel like as more and more women run companies are in the headlines, even though there's still such a small number of us out there. You know, we're going to start to see more and more of these stories. And, you know, so one question is, should women be held to a higher standard? Is that fair Or, or should they? I mean, maybe they should be, because if you're espousing feminist values and you're busting taboos and you're, you know, you're essentially doing thought leadership work through, your e-commerce business, then maybe you should be held to a higher standard. I think that's a question that we should ask ourselves. And for those of us that are also women building companies, I think we need to be very careful about falling into a similar trap, right? So if you're talking about certain values, you better be upholding those values in the day-to-day running of your company, right? And so, you know, you're going to be held to the standard that you put out for yourself.
0: Yes, I totally agree but I still feel like there's we need to allow people to fail at times.
1: Yeah. No, I know. Well, that's like our Elizabeth Holmes conversation, Sandy. And I think that everyone makes mistakes, right? And so, and again, we are not privy to all of the workplace concerns and reports that were made in terms of harassment and abuse. And so, I don't want to undermine that in any way or condone that or, you know, consent to that in any way that that's okay. And it's not my story to tell. I only see this as a consumer and as a fellow founder just watching this play out. And I, I see I certainly agree with you that I don't think it's fair that women are vilified because they make mistakes or they have a business failure, right? And that's the same conclusion I feel like both of us reached in the wake of Elizabeth Holmes. Like right. in that case, I mean, we're still seeing that story play out. I'm her, it'll be really interesting this year to watch her trial. But I don't know. I don't have, you know, like this podcast isn't about we have a strong opinion. Either of us have a really strong opinion and we're voicing it. I mean, I think that part of the reason we wanted to record this episode is just because it's provocative and we're both still sort of sitting with this and trying to figure out where we stand. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy to use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. Unlike other startups, Namastream was created by women for women. If you're looking for a simple, streamlined way to build and grow an online business, you can learn more at namastream.com.
0: It is interesting, like the rise of the whole boss babe culture. It's like saying things, you know, like what you were saying, greenwashing, like it's environmental, it's organic, like those words are losing their meaning, right? Where when we started a few years ago, there was no boss babe culture. And so I love that that's happening. I don't like the words, but I don't know. It's just so interesting how things change and shift. And we, as a consumer, need to really look at company by company, who's running it what are their values what are their practices you know and and it's just it's these labels just are not serving anyone
1: yeah no, I agree, Sandy. I mean, there are other issues here too. I mean, the environmental side of this story really hits me pretty hard. And I tend to believe in a circular economy and I don't believe in unsustainable growth for growth's sake. And that's including in the online space, but especially in the you know physical products or e-commerce space, I find it very troubling as an environmentalist to think about the success of a company like Thinks being based on you know producing more and more and more and more, especially if there's any sort of toxic chemicals involved. And so I would like to support a company, I'm happy to pay more to buy something that I know has, you know, a product lifecycle built in where I can reuse or recycle or return the thing when I'm done with it, or that it's going to last me, you know, for decades or whatever. I, I mean, that's more important to my values. And so fundamentally, this idea of just like, I mean, with this underwear, it was supposed to be that you didn't have to buy disposable feminine hygiene products. And so that was what fundamentally appealed to me. And they also had this entire campaign to bring this underwear to girls in cultures where menstruation was taboo, right? And kept them out of school. And like, there's all this amazing work that was being done. Now, if you're going to take toxic underwear and give it to little girls who can't afford to buy disposable feminine hygiene products, like that's, that's a whole other story. And so I don't know, but I would really like us to be able to have a conversation about what growth means and is growth in fact, if you're relying on sort of unlimited growth and, and the goal of your company is to grow unbounded, is that feminist? Like, can that in fact be reconciled with being a feminist company? I mean, I would argue probably not. Like, I don't think you can be that growth driven and trying to dominate a market and still be feminist. That's my perspective.
0: But isn't being feminist like to me, it's like how you see the world. I don't know. Does it does it mm. I'm struggling with like a feminist company can't be focused on growth for growth sake. Like maybe it can. Maybe Whoa. you can be a yeah. feminist and, you know. Maybe. believe that everyone So I think
1: part of feminism, my brand of feminism is that environmental sustainability and human rights are sort of baked into my vision of being a feminist. Like that's the the kind of feminism that I live in. And so mm-hmm. if something is fundamentally not environmentally sustainable, then I can't see it as being feminist. And to me, when, especially when you're making physical products, I mean, growth, unlimited growth is not environmentally sustainable. Like there are limited resources in the world. And so by definition, if something is just focused ex- Exclusively on growing with no limits and no bounds and no sort of life cycle that takes the product back in and does something with it, then there's no way that's, in my mind, there's no way that's feminist. So
0: (laughs) I struggle with like the environment, like how do you connect feminists and environmentalists? I guess we can define feminism for ourselves. And to me, it's all about the equality and not nothing to do with the environment. And so, yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah. Because it's like, it's like a lens. Right. Oh, see, see. I have a totally different view on what it means to run a feminist business. Yeah, it's totally a lens. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it's also like being humane. And environmental sustainability for me goes along with being humane. So if we are externalizing the cost of our actions onto other people, that I mean, that's what unlimited growth ultimately does because the toxic chemicals and making the stuff go somewhere and it's probably not going to go where people have a lot of resources. It's going to go to the places where people don't have the resources to prevent it from being dumped or disposed of or, you know, whatever, whatever factories the stuff's made in. So it's all interwoven to me. But that's, I mean, that's a good point, Sandy. I have a very holistic view of what it means to be a feminist and to run a feminist company.
0: Mm -hmm. Because that to me is like more like, humane like you said like humanity like because men want to run companies like that too and they I don't know that they would say I'm a feminist company because I take care of the environment you know what I mean so it's just but I think we of course we can define that how we want and we've also played around with the feminine masculine economies right from Jen um, Armbrust, which maybe maybe helps me more to understand like using that as the lens of how you want to run your company versus saying I'm a feminist because feminist to me is like equality
1: Yeah, no, I get it, and I think that I am thinking more in the lines of Jennifer Armbrust's work. But yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I would say it's a worldview, and feminism is one way of talking about that worldview. But I also think it's there's you know (laughs) there are problems when you are a period underwear company and you're producing something that is toxic for women's bodies, and (laughs) because it's cheap or easy or whatever. I don't know the story of how that happened. But to me, that's not really caring about women. So I have a a huge problem with it. And I think so often these issues are interconnected. So if something's bad for the environment, it's typically bad for people too. (laughs) So it's, it's, I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know how you tease those things apart.
0: Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's a lot to process and think about. But I would encourage everyone to take a look at this article. We're going to have the link in the show notes. And there's a ton of rabbit holes because they link to other other articles. And I spent a long time reading. Also, what's interesting is after she was left the company, when Mickey Agrawals left the company, they didn't have anyone to run it. And no one wanted to take it on. And then this one woman did. And it was like many months to get the board to hire her. And she did it. And she's turning it around. And it's so interesting about another woman coming into this kind of a mess, right? And deciding to take it on as a challenge. So interesting. Yeah, no,
1: and I, I mean, I would love to see what happens to this company. But I also feel like when something like this happens to a brand, it's really hard to redeem yourself, right? Because your reputation is so important, especially for a company like this. And one of the most interesting parts of the article to me was, you know, you have to trust a brand. Like you don't, most people aren't going to send their underwear to a laboratory to have it tested or send any product for independent laboratory testing, right? So especially for a consumer-facing product, like you have no choice but to trust the company. And that's what the Sierra Club journalist talks about in her piece. And so what do you do in the case where a company like this has violated your trust? And what is the road for other founders to have an issue like this happen or something similar what do you do to rebuild that trust and is it even possible i don't know the answer it'll be really interesting to see what happens with this company i don't know but as a consumer
0: there's nothing you can do like you have to trust the reports and they have it on their website how they're not full of toxic chemicals and and so on like they stated our studies show that we do not have this this and this so i don't know how as a consumer you do it and i think the and the point of this podcasts is that you do trust because she's a woman. She's talking like no one else has talked. She's like, you know, normalizing this whole culture. And it's just like, of course, she's she would never do anything to hurt me. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's this. I don't know. This article bothers me so much, Sandy, because I agree. I think that it's We're, as consumers, really disempowered to know what happens behind the scenes in terms of manufacturing a product or even within a company that's not a a physical product company. We only know what's public, right? And so it's there's such a power imbalance between those people who are producing Mm -hmm. the tools and the the programs and the items that we use in our everyday life. Like we have no other choice than to look at how something is talked about and branded and to look at what the founders or the company is saying, and then to evaluate that. And as consumers, we're not in a position of power hardly ever. So acknowledging that and knowing that nobody is perfect and nothing is perfect. And you just like on some level, you can do your research, but if you're consuming something, you have to I mean, you sort of have to trust your intuition. (laughs) I think this is one of those things where if something is being branded so strongly in one way, I mean, maybe that pushes someone like me away because I feel like, what are you overcompensating for? But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We're going to have to let that one lie, I think. Yeah. No, I walk away from this article just being totally perplexed. And there are alternative brands to things that do you know underpants that do similar things that were tested to be safe by this other journalist by the Sierra Club journalist and so you know that's one idea but again it's it's like an equity issue because you don't know you don't know i mean if you've already invested in this product maybe you can't afford to just like throw it away and buy new underwear right and it's also like you don't know maybe t- tomorrow the run that you're going to buy is produced with chemicals that you didn't yeah. <laughs> well I mean, you just have no way of you know what? knowing it sucks hysterectomy oh god sandy <gasps>
0: solves everything here solves oh everything my
1: god okay well that's a that's a conversation for another day but when you're ready <laughs> or, or not or never but here's the thing it's like <laughs> this is just symbolic of every single thing we use right and like We could read 50 studies that say the same thing about our iPhones or whatever. And so, I mean, I think that that's why it's so Mm -hmm. upsetting. (laughs) So what do you do in the wake of that, right? So I wanna turn it around because I'm living in like the consumer hell of the story, which is that I have to, or I choose to use products that may not be safe for me or that are built and run by founders and companies that I think have substandard ethical practices. Okay, so let's turn this into an empowering frame, which is the fact that if you're listening to this, chances are that you are a founder as well. And you are building and running a company yourself, or at least you're interested in doing that. And we certainly own that identity, Sandy. And so what can we learn as founders from this? What's your takeaway that we could do better?
0: I think just staying really open about our struggles and our learning and not to paint it that it's all like this. It's so great over here. And I think you had the best phrase in one of the last two podcasts. You said the messy middle and the messy middle is full of mistakes and learnings. And I think sharing that is like, incredibly powerful to hear that, oh, they don't have it all figured out. Like we're not, I don't want to paint a picture that it's all just like, beautiful and piles of money and easy.
1: I don't know that anyone would be happy with easy piles of money for very long, but yeah, I sure. Yeah. And, and I think just this commitment to always be growing, right? Like this commitment to being humble and recognizing that you're going to make mistakes or you're going to discover something that maybe a way you were doing something isn't helpful. It's the commitment is to always be learning, always be growing and always be bettering. Right. And so I think that's, but what yeah. if,
0: you are committed to growing and learning and like talking about your mistakes, but what if the internet takes you down because you made a mistake?
1: Oh, God. Well, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: That's yeah. the problem I have with all this. It's like, oh, oh crap, I made a mistake. And in this internet culture, you're like out of business. And I don't think that's fair and impacts
1: a lot of people, right? And so Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think this this disproportionately impacts women too. I think women are totally mm-hmm. vilified if they make and a mistake, even if it's an egregious mistake that should, you know, should result in some sort of action or punishment, I think, so often for women founded companies or women influencers online that that's game over. So yeah, I, I agree. And I think maybe the other side of this is that we just agree to if someone is acknowledging a mistake, even if it's an egregious mistake that, you know, there's this sort of tacit agreement that, we are going to support someone in rebirthing, you know, mm-hmm. their business or learning from that mistake and moving on that they're not, you know, that they don't have like a scarlet letter on them that prevents them from from ever being in this space again. Right.
0: Right. And watching these stories of get these women being taken down for making a mistake – you know that really perpetuates this idea of i have to be perfect or i can't start a company like we in the last episode when the last episode's about perfection it's like i am so afraid to make a mistake so i better not start like that also worries me is that people just like are so afraid that they have to be perfect or they'll be like out of business I don't know. Maybe that's not a big
1: issue, but. Yeah, no, I get that. And I think that the longer you're in business, the less that matters. I mean, we've talked about this before, like in sort of what, we, in one of our last episodes, Sandy, where we talked about what we've learned in the last three years. Mm-hmm. And I think just like you get used to making mistakes and having to confront difficult situations. And then there ends up not being a situation that's too hard because you kind of grow into this identity of founder and entrepreneur and business owner and CEO and whatever it is, you grow into it. And the way you get that identity is through learning and making mistakes and picking yourself up. And so I do think that gets easier. I mean, as long as you are acting ethically and, you know, listening to the people around you, right? So part of, part of what Mickey Agarwal is accused of mm-hmm. is like not, not responding to claims right. by the immediate people around right. her that something was wrong. If you're like a humble person who's caring and committed and you're showing up every day and doing your best work, even if that work is flawed, but you're committed to doing it and being better every day, I don't think that one thing is gonna take you down. I don't think so. I think that's a choice if you let that happen. And I think the mistake that she made, that Mickey made from what I can read, is that she was not paying attention to the impact she was having on the people immediately Mm -hmm. around her. So she had a lot of opportunities to sort of self-correct. And for whatever reason, I have no idea, chose, to do something else, chose to behave in a different way. So I would just say, don't think that you can't build a company because God forbid you make a mistake and then you invest all this time and money and, you know, your soul into something and then, you know, with a snap of a fingers, it's gone. I don't think it really works like that. I do think that women who make mistakes, whether it's in business or in politics, or in culture, that they quickly become vilified. And I think it takes a really strong person who has a lot of skills and support to be able to overcome that. Absolutely. It's a fascinating topic. Do you wanna
0: move into joy and hustle? Because I'm kind of anxious to talk about it.
1: Oh, yes, I would love to. I would love to. Okay, so our joy and hustle, because of what this article is about and sort of what it triggered for each of us, our joy and hustle are both relevant and about Taylor Swift. I will talk about the joy, because. I love Taylor Swift. You know, like her music style isn't necessarily the kind of music I listen to, but just as a person, as an activist, and as a a talented human being in the world, I really respect her. And I love her Tiny Desk concert, her NPR Tiny Desk concert that came out at the end of October of 2019. And so we'll link to that in the show notes for the joy. It's about half an hour long. And if you have a little girl, a daughter, or you have a, a young girl in your life at all, I would just highly encourage you to sit down and watch this with her because it's such a tremendously empowering symbol of what's possible for a young woman to do. And she's just so incredibly talented. So I love it. And I would watch it over and over again. Yeah. And that's on YouTube. Did you say that? It is on YouTube. Yeah, you can or on NPR, but I'll link to the YouTube video. Oh, I really don't know what NPR is. Because you're Canadian. It's Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: So Staying with the Taylor Swift theme, the hustle is Miss Americana. I just learned how to say that word. I was saying it wrong. Miss Americana, which is the new Netflix special on Taylor Swift's life. And I think every woman and certainly every young girl needs to watch this because we can see ourselves in her in the different... I mean, she's only 30 years old, but from her sort of rise through fame through her teens, and to now she has grown as a person. And I think this ability for her to speak her truth now to kind of step into politics to tweet something and not be afraid of the backlash. It was fascinating to watch this transition and her thinking behind it. And her, you know, trying to just be this quiet woman who is trying to be just an artist. And then like, Learns that that doesn't work and she gets taken down anyway. And she's like, This is bullshit. Like, I have a voice, I have an opinion, and I'm going to use it. Just that, like, to show that transition of her thinking, we can all probably pinpoint where we are on that spectrum of her transformation. I don't know. It's just like made me so empowered to, like, just speak, you know, and like, everyone else be damned. It's so good. She is so raw and real and no makeup and ponytail. And you really get to see the artist of Taylor Swift, like how she creates, how she songwrites, which is her real talent, I think, is like her storytelling ability. Oh my it's so good. I think I would be surprised if there's anything better. Even if you don't even like Taylor Swift's music, like you said, this is worth a watch.
1: Yeah. I think she's an incredibly talented artist. And so there's a benefit to just diving into your own culture. And this is the culture we live in and pop culture and and understanding who's behind this and their stories are often so interesting and Taylor's is a story of feminism. And so I would, I would love it if, I think a lot of people are watching it anyway, but if, you, if it's not on your radar, you should go watch it. There you go. All right, folks, we'll see you next week. Thanks, see you Jenny.
0: Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business but don't know where to start to wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're gonna help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free.